This morning, I have a message uh, directed at an individual. This morning's message, normally I wouldn't point the finger at any individual. I would not want to let it make anybody feel uncomfortable. I would not want anybody to... Uh, I would rather preach a message to a broad audience instead of going, okay, this, this is for you. This morning's message has a specific audience, and it's me. So I'm going to ask you this morning to, to bear with me as I, I speak this message forth. If it doesn't pertain to you, then I say, that's fine. Just remember that somebody needed this message this morning. I did. Last week, we looked at David's mighty men. Actually, it was a couple weeks ago. What a group they were. But as I was looking in, in the, the Bible there, in the, in the book of Chronicles, and also in, in Samuel, it talked about David and his mighty men. And in the next chapter, it talked about David taking a census. And I thought, well, Lord, is there some tie here between these two things? See, a census, David's census, sounded political. It sounded right. It sounded logical. It sounded like the thing that to do. In fact, in the book of Exodus chapter 30, it talks about taking a census. So how could a census in and of itself be anything wrong? See, how many times in our lives do we, we say that, you know what, the Lord, the Lord permitted this, so it can't, be, it can't be bad. The Lord made it. I've heard people say that about marijuana. Well, the Lord, he grew it, so it must be okay. Tobacco, it must be all right because he grew it for me. He wanted me to do this. In the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24, it says, Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. 1 Chronicles, chapter 21, there's a repeat of it. In verse 1, then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now I want to take care of just a, a, a quickly something that may seem like a contradiction. I want to address this scripture before I move ahead. I want you to understand, see it says there, now the angel of the Lord burned against Israel and it incited David against them to say, and then we have the other part is, is then Satan stood up against Israel. And what is exactly going on here? I want you to understand this today, that it is the enemy of God that suggested the census. It was the same enemy of God that put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. It is not God who tempts us. Satan is frequently described in scripture as doing things that God allows and permits to be done. He permitted, he permitted Satan to tempt David. Satan was the active mover. David was the, the, the move E. While God withdrew his supporting grace and the adversary prevailed against the king. So I want you to understand this morning, all temptation is permitted by God, but it is not caused by God. When evil spirits tempt us, they do so by permission of God. He is, 
He had, here in this situation, we find out that David was warned beforehand. See, I hate it when godly counsel comes and then I don't obey it. In First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 2 and 4, it said, So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many they are. But Joab replied, May the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over my Lord the king. Are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel, and then he came back to Jerusalem. It took about nine months to do this counting. Easton's Bible Dictionary says this about, about this. It states that David acted out of pride and a desire to glorify himself. He had come to the point in his life where he re- relied for, far more on his own strength and, the, and, his, and his army rather than that of God. When something has worked in the past, sometimes what we begin to do is we begin to rely upon what we've seen and how it works in the past. But let's go back to the census. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 12 and 16, it gives some very specific requirements of how a census is to be taken. It says, when you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come upon them when you number them. See, it's interesting. What we see happen here in Chronicles, David doing this, and the outcome of it is a result of what God had prescribed earlier in the book of Exodus. He says, listen, they belong to God. I want you to understand this morning that it is not yours. It belongs to God. When we assume something is ours and it belongs to God, there are consequences to that. The Bible talks about the tithes and the offerings belonging to the God. And that if we take those upon ourselves and use them for ourselves, the Bible says that we are actually robbing of God. Now that's probably the only sermon you'll hear me preach on tithing right there. As to why God was angry with David in those times. A man only had the right to count or number what belonged to him. Israel did not belong to David. Israel belonged to God. So I ask you this morning, are all sins the same before God? Well, yes and no. Yes in the sense that all sins are black, putrid, and repulsive to a holy and righteous God. But no in the sense of the damage they cause. The Bible talks in the book of Proverbs about seven sins that are more that carry a bigger wallop, that carry a, 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 a something else uh, that is more powerful. Look at the other sins. Did not when someone committed adultery, there wasn't this this plague that would break out upon the people. I want you to understand this morning. David's counting cost them seventy thousand lives. See, pride has deeper consequences. Pride goes, has deeper roots than other sins. It attempts to remove God from the repl- throne and replace it with ourself. It goes against the very first of God's commands. You shall not have any other gods before me. Why do you think he put that in the front? Because he knew it was hideous in the sight of God. It was an abomination to God. It was the original sin of Satan. And every sin from that point spreads from pride. God abhors pride. Proverbs 6.16 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. The New American Standard and the King James Version says that they are an abomination to him. What are they? The first one, a proud look. See, now, if it was me, I wouldn't have started off with a proud look. I'd have pr- you got murder here, hands that shed innocent blood. It's the third thing down the road. God says, no, listen, what really bothers me, what really angers me, is pride. General 
Sedgwick. During the Battle of Wilderness in the Civil War, he was a Union general. He was inspecting his troops. At one point in time, there was an opening in the, in the battle. He gazed out in the direction of the enemy. His officers suggested that this was unwise, and perhaps he thought to duck while they were passing this opening. The general said laughingly, what, what men, dodging this way for a single bullet? What will you do when they open fire along a whole line? I'm ashamed of you. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. A few seconds later, a man who had been separated from his regiment passed directly in front of the general, and at the same time, a moment, a sharpshooter's bullet passed along with a shrill whistle and came close to the soldier's head, who was just then he fell before the general. The general touched him gently with his foot and said, why, my man, I'm ashamed ashamed of you dodging in that way. And he repeated the remark. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. The man rose and saluted and said, good-naturedly, general, I dodged a shell once, and if I hadn't, I would have taken my head off. I believe in dodging. The general laughed and replied, all right, my man, go to your place. For a third time, the same shrill whistle, closing with a dull, heavy stroke, interrupted their talk. As he was about to resume, the general's face turned towards me, the blood spurting from his left cheek under his eye in a steady stream. He fell in my direction. I was close to him in, in, that my effort, in that my effort to support him failed, and he fell to the ground. See, here's the thing. We look at this and we say, oh, how stupid. How foolish. But yet, in our own lives, many times we do the exact same thing. We foolishly put ourselves in a place of pride saying, look at me. We even do it in the spiritual aspect. God, I'm going to step out here. I can, I'm going to take all this on. And then the enemy gives us a good old wallop and we, we fall flat to the ground. See, the problem with this is that I see myself in this picture. That's what bothers me about it is I can see my own, if I can use this word, the cockiness about it. The Hebrew words for proud mean to lift up, to widen, to enlarge. It was this attitude that drove Satan to try and lift himself above all else. He wanted to be equal with God. The New Testament, there are words, three different words. They, these are the implications of them. One, one means to show above. The second means to make smoke. The third means emptiness of boasting. See, pride will tell us this morning that I deserve better than this. God, I am better than this situation that I am. Pride says that it belongs to me. I've earned it. You've worked for it. You deserve. You're entitled to it. See, pride is fascinated with self, but what we're supposed to be is fascinated with God. See, in sports, there are always those, that one that wants to jump out there in the middle and say, look at me, look what I'm doing, and, and not depending upon who God is. That's who we're supposed to depend on. We don't depend upon ourselves. We depend upon the God that resides within us. What would God, how and what would make God oppose me? James 4, 6 says, but God gives more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. See, I, I was doing a little quick little word study of these two words, opposes and humble. Opposes. This is what God does to me if I walk in pride. He says, I set myself against you, I resist you. He's actually squared off against us. It is opposed in principle and practice. He says there, another, another translation says, rejecting the entire makeup of something from its very setup. 
It's a military term meaning attack or resist. The last I used the red letters, so here you can just to dis- disagree, to impose intensely. God says, if, if, if you walk in pride, this is how I feel about you. See, that, that struck a core with me. I'm like, we sometimes wonder, how come God isn't answering me? Maybe it's because I've put myself on the throne. And he's saying, listen, what I want you to do is put me on the throne. Don't be fascinated with yourselves. Some would say this morning, Greg, I'm not fascinated with me. <laughs> who do we constantly look at pleasing? If something doesn't go our way, who, who do we jump right up? Hey, hey, did you see that? Or someone does something that offends us. And we, hey, hey, I don't deserve that. I have a brother-in-law that constantly wants to, to call me and he wants to talk about retirement. And he says, look, you know what? You've, you've worked for that. You worked 25 years. You put your life on the line and you, you deserve it, Greg. Listen, I don't deserve anything. It was God that enabled me to be where I am today. It is not in the strength of my arm or my body. It is only by the strength of God alone. If I think it's anything else, I'm only fooling myself. The word humble, he says there. Humble means lowly. Properly depends on the Lord rather than self. I love that. It means God-reliant rather than self-reliant. See, and some of us would go, well, Greg, I don't have that. I don't have a haughty look. I don't have that proud look. You know what? It's just as simple as just relying upon self. That's what really convicted me, is that a lot of times I want to depend upon what I can do. And the Lord's like, listen, I don't want you to depend on what you can do. You can do some things maybe that are good, but what I want you to depend on is me. I want you to be so reliant upon me. So how do we overcome this? The Bible says a great, greater grace is needed. A greater grace is is the cure. How is that? Look at the disciples. I want you guys to think about this just for a minute. This struck me, according me, so strongly. Here, these men have been with Jesus for three years. They had seen the miracles. They had seen his teaching. They, he had washed their feet. He showed what it meant to be meek and humble and gentle. He displayed it before them for three years. In Luke chapter 9, the Bible says that on one occasion they were together and a dispute arose among them and they began to argue about who was greatest in the kingdom. Jesus rebuked them. But that wasn't enough. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's at his final farewell dinner. One week before he's going to go to the cross. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, a dispute rose among them. To who would be the greatest? Really? Are you kidding me? I'm thinking, Jesus is going, are you guys, I, sometimes I think to myself, Lord, this is what you gave me to work with? You know, as we're trying to do, we're trying to take a kingdom for God. I'm like, this is what you, Jesus is probably going, this is what you gave me to work with, these guys? Really? Come on. Couldn't I have had a couple, just a couple guys that were, you know, got it? No. A dispute rises among them as I'm getting ready to go to the cross. Typical of us. Typical of me. 
there's difficulty in this area. There is a strong opposing force of the enemy that works in pride. Here's the remedies I'm going to give you to the pride. These, these are for me. These are not for you this morning. I want you to understand. Remember, this message is for me. It's not for you. So if you'll just bear with me as I, as I finish out here. The first one is this submission. Proverbs 13 says, where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Many of those who give counsel are the worst at receiving Godly counsel, godly leadership, submitting to those. See, pride and rebellion go hand in hand. If you, if you truly want to not walk in pride, I'm going to tell you the only answer is walking in submission to those that God has placed over you. Husbands, I did not, I did not plan it this way. Wives, the Bible says that you have to be submitted to your husband. The Bible talks about being submitted to your pastor and those in leadership around you. You may not like it. It may not be comfortable, but it is still how God prescribed it to be. If you don't want to walk in pride, this is, I'm giving you the prescription. Number one thing is you have to walk in submission to those who are in authority over you. Second Peter 5, 5 says in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe, you're going to hear this again, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submission again is tied to pride. If you want, if you want the cure, if you want the remedy for pride, you have to walk in submission. Remember Peter's past. How he, he was ready to slice off, the, he was slicing off ears because no, God, this cannot happen in the next breath. He's running away from a little girl who says, aren't you one of them? If we look at David in this story here, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, 4, it says David's commander, Job, warned him along with his army commanders. All of them were telling him, not just Joab, but the king's word Overruled them. The second remedy is this. It is clothing ourselves in meekness, lowliness, and humility. I want to go through these three words just real quickly. I want you to understand what they look like. See, pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Jesus said in, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Many times we think of meekness... As weakness. It is translated gentleness here. Meekness is whereby a person willingly and accepts and submits without resistance to the will and desires of someone else. The meek person is not self-willed, not continually concerned with self. His own ways, ideas, and wishes. He is willing to put himself in a second place and submit himself to achieve what is good for others. Meekness is the opposite of self-will, self-interest, and self-assertiveness. See, meekness and gentleness is not a sign of weakness. It is actually a a sign of strength. Why did Moses get to see God's glory? Because the Bible says in Numbers 12, 3, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the earth. I've I've preached on on hunger, and I'm going to continue to preach on hunger, but I will tell you right now, hunger without humility, they have to be coupled together, will leave you empty. It's going to, you're, you're, you'll have a, you may have a self-fulfillment, but it's going to leave you empty in the eternal things. We have to be humble and, and also have that hunger. So you're going to hear this over again. Have that hunger for God. I'm going to continue to preach hunger for God, but also walk in that humility because otherwise it's in emptiness. Humility 
Humility like meekness. Again, we think of weakness. Humility is an attitude or a quality of mind whereby a person holds low esteem. I'm not talking about demeaning yourself. We're talking about our opinion of our own goodness and importance has been put down. Spiritually, one abases himself because he realizes in his sinfulness and therefore he is will he realizes his sinfulness and therefore he is willing to depend on God to meet his needs in the opposite of pride, haughtiness, and self-exaltation. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. In humility, value others more than yourselves. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth. An outsider, somebody who doesn't know you. Not your mommy, not your daddy, not your best friend who loves to give you praise. Let it come from somebody outside. Not talking about what we've done, what we're doing, bragging about how we are, not bragging about what I can accomplish. I'm not seeking my own. I will not be jealous. My actions will be done in kindness. I will not be easily provoked. I will not be arrogant. It's important to note that these are the effects of love. Love is selflessness. Love is selfless in its very nature. When I am being selfless, there is no, there is no room for pride when I am being selfless. Humility doesn't say, look at me, look what I've accomplished. It says, look what God has done in me. Look what God has done and what he is doing in me. It isn't degrading oneself to get low, but completely dependent on God. See, David began to rely on his resources, what he could accomplish instead of what God had done. Remember how many times God had saved them. See, pride sneaks in through the back door when no one is looking. It is an epic battle that must be won. 1 Peter 3, 4 says, rather... It should be of that inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I like the new way the New Living Translation says that you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. First Peter 3, 4. God opposes, God opposed David when he counted his men. God opposes me if I don't walk in humility. Who am I depending on this morning? See, it really bottoms down to this right here. The Greek word prots is is what we're describing when we talk about humility and gentleness. What a great picture. This, This horse is a picture of strength and power. Yet, if that power is reckless, untamed, it's useless. But... That same power, that same power, when it's put and harnessed in the right direction, it can drag, it can take thousands and thousands of pounds and take them to places. See, it's, it's that wildness, that free spirit when it's broken, that strength is harnessed. It is that power that is bridled. That is what we're talking about when we talk about that gentle and that, that submissive spirit. The horse is now in submission to the one who broke it. Dr. Lloyd, Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this week. The weak, meek man does not demand anything for himself. He does not take all his rights as he claims. He does not make demands for his position, his privilege, or his possessions, or even his status of life. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether. Paul said it like this. Jesus died a common death of a criminal in Philippians 2.8. A death to self must occur before I can truly understand humility. If I try to fabricate humility, which I am always tempted to do, 
See, if I put my cross next to Jesus, I'm just a thief. Death to self is where is humility's destination. This is the place where God wants us. This is the place where God is taking us. Does God honor the faith of those who we've seen at times? Have you seen those people that you know they walk in pride and yet God blesses them? You see, you know, you, you see them giving to others and you're like, God, how is it? How can it be that I see all these things? Does God honor that? It doesn't mean that God honors that faith. See, what they could have done is they could have stored up an internal treasure, but instead they, they stored up a treasure right here. So don't be fooled by what you see in the physical at times. Those things that we see, we say, oh, look at the grandiose of all that. God says, listen, what I want you to do is it's that meekness, that gentleness of spirit, not weakness. It's actually that meekness where that power is harnessed. See, that's, the, that's why I gave you that picture of that horse. I, I'm reminded, I was telling Robert this last night when I was praying for him. I see, he, came, he comes and works at the, um, when we get, do the food giveaway on Thursday, the third Thursday of the month. He comes every month, and he was just sweating, just dripping. And I said, he reminds me of that, that, that Clydesdale, that he, can, he works, and he works, and he works. He, he doesn't say a word, but he just continues. He just churns it out. And that's, that's that gentle giant that we see there. He's got the power to crush me. He's got the power to probably to crush any one of us with his, with, with his grip. But instead, in the midst of that, that's what Jesus was saying when he says, I emptied myself. He's saying, listen, I have all of God's power at my disposal, yet I decided what I'm going to do is become nothing. Hmm. What a picture. See, he's our example. Christ was our example. This isn't the great gospel message of our age, though. No one wants to hear about dying to self. Tell me about a blessing. Tell me about favor. Don't tell me how I have to die. What was Jesus' message? He did it over and over again. Deny yourself. Lose your life. Deny yourself. Lose your life. Deny yourself. Lose your life. See, this morning, I would love to give you a message that's going to make us all feel good and walk out of here and go, yeehaw! <laughs> See, but this morning, the message is to me. It says, listen, Greg, you have to become less so that I can become greater. You've got to get low. You want to figure out how to make your marriage better? Get low. You want to know how to make relationships get better? Get low. You want to make, know how to make things work at, at work better? Get low. See, that's the only true way that we're going to truly know what it's like to be Christ-like. Is when I become nothing and he becomes everything. This morning as we close, I'm going to play a song and it talks about <laughs> that this song is of my heart this morning. How long is it going to take, Lord, before I get to that place? This battle of pride and humility is not one, I can't wave a wand over you and pride's gone. I wish it was that easy. It's a process. It's a long process. It's a drawn out process. It's a battling of the enemy. It's saying, God, I will no longer stay in this place.
Till I become like you. Let's all stand and just sing that song together.
Heavenly Father. God, I confess my pride before you right now. God, I give you myself. Lord, this, this message was directed towards me. God, I ask right now, Lord, that you forgive me. God, you cleanse me. God, I want to walk in righteousness and wholeness. God, I don't want to be opposed by God this morning. God, if there are those this morning that join with me in that. God, I ask right now, Lord, we speak that before you right now in the name of Jesus. God, we turn over our pride right now to you. God, we get low before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. God, we bless you today. We thank you for your word. God, let it be revive our hearts this morning. Make us more like you, God. That's the cry of our heart. God, I want people to mistake us for Jesus Christ. Lord, let us walk in the image of Christ. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. You may be dismissed.